If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What we are going to see today is what is going to be characterized as the way that people function in the last days. That's why I've entitled the sermon The Last Days this morning. Many people like to talk about eschatology, what's going to happen in the future. Today we're going to let God's word speak to us. We're going to let God's word be our teacher. And I'm praying that as we spend time in the word of God this morning, that the Lord will bring clarity, crystal clear clarity for us all, as well as encouragement as I believe what the Apostle Paul is doing, as he opens up chapter 3, he's expounding on what he has told Timothy in chapter 2, verse 19. Where he says this, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, speaking of Christ's church, that nothing will be able to cripple it, that it will indeed stand, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His, And then this, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Stay away from wickedness, turn the other way, flee wickedness. And and what does wickedness look like? Well, he gives us a clear picture of what wickedness looks like in the first nine verses of chapter three here. And yet as he gives us this clear picture, this depiction of, of what we will see as alive and well today in our culture, there's, there's also this other side that I don't want us to miss this morning, and, and that is the wonderful, sovereign purposes of God. That all of this happens not in some sort of surprise to God, but all of this happens according to His plan, according to His purpose, that he knew exactly what was going to happen this week. As that 18-year-old boy went into that school. Oh, it takes us fully by surprise when we see the, 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 the full depravity and sinfulness of man presented to us like that. But it doesn't take God by surprise. And in that, it, it gives us a tremendous hope knowing that he is still in control and that as we see things spiral further and further and further and further and further out of control, God says, I called this already. I told you. So don't be fearful. Don't be worried. Trust me. Look at what he says as the apostle Paul speaks speaks to Timothy and the the Lord speaks to us all this morning through the written word, incredible revelation that God has given to us, the inspired, inerrant, and oh-so-powerful word. Look at what he says. But realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Not may come. No, will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, 
reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into the households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, may you do what I could not do on on the best day ever of my preaching. As articulate, as clear, as concise, as passionate as I could possibly ever be in the best sermon that I would ever preach, Lord, may you do what I, I could never accomplish. May you speak to us this morning through your word. May it be clearly you speaking and no other this morning. So set me aside. And as your word is open, as your word is explained, as the clear, plain plain meaning is brought forth, Lord, the sense of what you are sharing with us, may that come crystal clear from you and only from you. For we want to live in the light of reality, but we also want to live in the power of your gospel and your grace every day of our lives, Lord. Help us to do that as we learned this morning just exactly what it looks like in the last days and how your love and what we see pictured in your love, your sacrificial, your agape, your others-focused, your unconditional love, how that love is flipped upside down, how it's inverted And help us not to lose hope or to lose heart, but to be encouraged knowing that none of this takes you by surprise. But this is all part of your plan in order to get to that day, Lord Jesus, when you will come. When you will come again in the second coming. And so allow us to, uh, that to be our hope and our joy this morning as we look at this. And allow this and what we see in these characteristics of the present times that we live in to be fuel for our fire, to want to reach out to those that are still captive to Satan and living these kinds of lives, Lord. And and if we are characterized in any way like this, wake us up to that, Lord, and allow your grace to change us, that you might receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice right from the start the way that the Apostle Paul starts here. He wants to lay everything out to Timothy in terms of designating what these days are. These aren't the beginning days. These aren't the first days. Timothy, where you and I, where we have been living are the last days. But he starts in the first five verses pointing forward into the future saying that with these last days, difficult times will come. They will indeed come. There's nothing you can do to stop them, Timothy. It's all part of my plan. 
And then he's going to go on, and, and in these verses, he gives us some 19 characteristics of what life will look like in the men, and, and that's the general word, verse 2, for men. It's, it's not talking about just men. It's talking about mankind, that everyone outside of Christ, this is how they will live. This is what their lives will reflect. But really what he is trying to give is this clear distinction between what people are and what they should be. And much as when my wife tells me to, hey, can you go to Costco? Can you pick up some things for me? She usually gives me kind of a road map. Sometimes it's in the text, and she'll literally tell me it's over here by this, not by that. Why? So that I can navigate Costco. It's usually a shipwreck, and I have no idea where I'm going, even though I go there with her frequently. Well, what what is the Apostle Paul doing? He's helping Timothy navigate these days. And the Lord is helping us navigate. Just as Shannon would let me know, hey, I don't don't want the the blue milk. I want the red milk. And it's over here on this side. And and the eggs are in that same, you know, that cold place when you go in there. And then then the vegetables, they're over here. And this is where we're going to get them. And then I want meat, but I don't want that meat. I want this meat. Well, that, that, that is what the Lord is showing us today. Hey, this is not how I want you to be living. In fact, if you see this, recognize that this is counter to me and everything that I hold dear. And so he says this in the last days. We, we tend to look at that, at, at least in the way that we kind of compartmentalize and, and put it in our minds. Well, that must be a, a, a pretty small period of time. Come on, it's days. It doesn't say the last years. It says days, Pastor Jason. So therefore, it must just mean a, a, a small little chunk of time. Maybe a week, maybe, maybe a year. Oh maybe, oh, maybe it's that tribulation seven years. Maybe that's what this is talking about. No, no, no. This is talking about epochs. This is talking about periods of time. And do you know when these last days began? When they started? They started when the Lord Jesus Christ came as a man. In his incarnation, that is when these last days began. And these last days will continue on until when? Until he comes back. Why? Because he hasn't completed his job yet. He's done the first part, redemption, but he has not come to do what he is fully going to do. Which is to right all wrongs. See, he came as the suffering lamb. He's going to come back as the conquering king. And that should cause us to rejoice. That's the backdrop of what's going on here. When you see the last days, just don't think of it only as negative. Recognize, man, that's pointing to something much, much better than these last days that we're living in. It's pointing to something, someone, Jesus Christ, coming back and completing. It's also pointing to the fact of how good is God that he allowed us to live right now in these last days. He could have chosen in his own timing to to allow me to be born in the days of Moses. But he didn't. And the same with you. Instead, he allows us to live right here and right now in this day. And and what do these days, these last days, what what does he mean? Turn with me to, to Mark chapter 13. 
I don't want us to think of this as some constant time where, where things are just difficult, difficult, difficult. No, this is like ebbs and flows. This is, this is like the ocean. You know, you know what surfers wait for? They wait for storms. Because the waves aren't always consistently four to six or six to eight or, or whatever size you like your waves. I, I kind of like waves like three to five foot. I don't want them too big, but I don't want them too small because then it's not fun. And so what do we do as surfers? We wait for that storm to come. But when there is no storm, you know what happens? It gets flat. And then what some guys do, they, they take out longboards. I don't like longboards. But some do. Okay, so what is this talking about? This is talking about that at times things look incredibly bad. Right now, this week, I agree, things look bad. Before COVID, we would have said, ah, things are pretty good. And we don't know what an epidemic, a pandemic, what any kind of sickness like that looks like. What are you talking about? Before Russia and Ukraine, you would have been like, wars? Nah, we really don't know what that looks like. That was before. This is now. We're in a good spot. That's not the same anymore. And, and what we might actually be tempted to do is to think, oh man, it's right here right now. That this is as bad as it will get. Well, I got news for you. I don't have news for you. Jesus does. It's going to get far worse before it's going to get better. And this is what we see in Mark chapter 13. Look at verses 5 to, five to 8. And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, I'm the Messiah, I'm the chosen one, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Why? Because I am in control of all things. And look at what he says. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. That sounds pretty bad to me. But look at what he says. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. As bad as we think that it is right now, it's going to get worse. The reason why we think it's so bad is because we're comparing it to what we know. And a hundred years from now, they're going to compare it to what they've seen. And it will continue to get worse. But that doesn't mean it'll be a constant going up. There will be ebbs and flows. And at times, things will mellow out. And it won't be so terrible. Then it'll ramp up again. But it'll continue to spiral worse and worse and worse and worse. Until this, look at verse 14. Mark 13. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, that's talking about the temple. You know what's going to happen? The Antichrist is going to go back into the temple because they're going to start worshiping again in the temple. And he's going to receive worship in the temple. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. This isn't a time to run back and get anything. This is going to be a terrible, terrible time of persecution. You turn, you're going to get caught, you're going to be killed. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because life will be so terrible. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. Why? Because so many more would die. 
Verse 19, for those days will be a time of tribulation, such as not has occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. That is the culmination. That is when things will get seriously, seriously, serious bad. Right now, it's more just like the beginning of the birthing process and the pain that's involved in it. Where that mother's body is, is beginning to get ready, but nowhere near the time where she's about to deliver because that is when the real pain comes, right? And that pain is going to come when? During the tribulation period. And when that pain comes, that is the wrath of God poured out on the world. And make no mistake, everyone will recognize just how bad that is. Worse than any other time in the history of mankind. Hmm, that's pretty bad. Considering he's wiped everybody out with a flood before. Considering Sodom and Gomorrah, just think about what this is saying. Verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. I say all that to say that this idea, this day of the last days that we are now living in, has an ending point, has a time where it will stop. And much as we want to think of this as only being one short little period of time. No, this up to this point has been 2,000 years. We don't know how long it'll go on. And what we know of, uh, of that is described in the Scripture as the day of the Lord is actually not one day at all. It's this entire tribulation period, the seven years, where God begins to pour out His wrath And as he pours out his wrath, he pours out more and more and more of his wrath. And what we are experiencing and what we see now is is just the beginning of that. So, what are we to do about these last days? We're to realize that they are here, that they are coming. That is where Paul goes. That is what Paul says actually commands Timothy to do. Realize this. this. This is the word to know something through objective observation. So it's, hey, engage your mind. Don't sit this one out, Timothy. Recognize as you're looking around of what is happening that there is some gauging that I want you to do, a litmus test, so to speak. As in when you go to Costco and you look at this in order to know where you to go, okay, I also want you to look at this and to recognize that this is all part of my plan, that these things must happen. And what I want you to recognize, Timothy, is that this is the days that I've brought you to in order to be a witness for me in this world. And so then what do we see? We see in Scripture this this tension. On the one hand, we are supposed to live in the reality of today. But we're not supposed to live so much in the reality of today that we do not look to the future and the hope of what we have in store waiting for us or in God's plan as to what he's revealed to us as to what will happen. 
We, we see this in the life of Christ as in Luke 12, 56, he, he goes after some, some of the, those, his followers that he's speaking to and says, man, don't you guys get it? You guys can look at the cloud rising and you know that it's going to rain. You can look at this wind coming from this direction and you know that it's going to be hot, but you can't look at the signs of the times of where you're living and recognize that you are in the last days. And that it should motivate you to reach out to the world and to share my love with them. And it should also motivate you to not be like them. But then on the other hand, in Acts 1-7, we see the, the Lord Jesus Christ as the apostles say, Hey, hey, is this the time when you're going to bring in the kingdom? Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And Jesus responds, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has what? Has set by his own authority. So this presents to us this, this wonderful balance in the way that Paul looks to the future, but he also looks to the present. And he doesn't overemphasize one to the exclusion of the other. And we should not do the same. And so what we see and what we will see this morning, I could have done 19, but instead I just brought it down to 8 because I don't know I could handle 19, of these characteristics of what I, I want to call them, characteristics of the wickedness and the perversion of God's love seen in the last days. This becomes what is typified in culture. In the first five verses, he's talking about mankind generally. And we're going to see that as he digs into this, that he's not only going to be talking about those outside the church, but those within the church as well. And then he's going to get in in verses six to nine about the teachers the false teachers that have infiltrated the church the present church in Ephesus and he's going to let Timothy know okay this is how these guys are characterized in order to teach us all this morning so that we would be wise in the way that we live and should the Lord ever take you from this body and you go to a new church, these are some of the things you should be looking out for. And if you see someone teaching like this, acting like this, then that is not a church that you should be getting involved in. So eight characteristics of this perversion, this love flipped on its end, turned sideways, upside down. The opposite of what God would say is love. And, and what is the, the tip of the iceberg? What is, what is the thing that basically I could go ahead and say, hey, every one of these points back to this. Where does he start? He starts with the love of self. That is what mankind will be. They will be lovers of self. That is what we see in, in verse 2. Lovers of self. That is the first characteristic. And we all know what lovers of self are. They're people that are self-focused. They're people that love themselves. This is what? This is narcissism. But is this not what we see throughout our entire culture? This is what we hear over and over again. We, we see it in books. We read it. We see it in movies as we look at movies. What is the, the calling card of, of such a philosophy? The greatest gift is to love yourself. You want to truly be happy in life? Then what you need to do is you need to figure out how to love yourself. And then everything will work out fine for you. Do you know what that is? That's a lie. That's heresy. 
That's Satan's design to deceive and to trick mankind and get them chasing after the wrong thing and leading them as far away from God as they possibly can get. And yet this is what our society, what our culture, what Hollywood, what everybody is forcing down our throats. As I was digging into this, I kept coming back to this song by Whitney Houston when I was in high school. I don't even want to give it to you because then you're going to keep singing it to yourself as I keep trying to take it out of my head. But this typifies this this kind of mentality. Do you remember this song? I decided long ago, I'm, I'm sure some of you can start singing along with me, never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fail, if I succeed, at least... I live, I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Oh, and then the song ramps up as it gets to the chorus. This is the chorus. Because the greatest love of all is happening to me, I found the greatest love of all. And where is it? Inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Do you know that that's crept into the church, that there are many churches, they preach this? The only problem is it's, it's anti-biblical. Do you know what the Word of God says about loving yourself? That's not the greatest love. That's, that's the worst thing that you can do. What the Word of God says is what? Who should you love? Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 to 39. All the men that have been in every man of war, you guys can say this with me. What, what is the greatest love? They came and they asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment in the law. But he doesn't stop there. And it's significant that he doesn't because the next thing that he says goes right to the heart of this Whitney Houston song. And what he says is this, the second is like and undo it. The second is just like it, but it's a little bit different. Okay, the other one is the vertical relationship. You love him more than anything. And here's the second one. You love others as you love yourself. That's not a commendation. That's not saying loving yourself is a good thing. He's saying, no, that's what everybody does. That is, not, that, that is the easiest thing to do. But that is not love. Love is loving others as you would selfishly care for yourself. Why? Because selfishly caring for ourselves comes naturally. And that is what our world just wants us to believe. No, nothing outside of Christ is going to right that ship, is going to truly bring you satisfaction, is truly going to bring you happiness. Loving yourself is not going to get you there. It is going to take you further and further and further away. The greatest love that any of us could do or could find or purpose ourselves to is to love the Lord our God with everything that we have. Your worth is not in yourself. That's what we see from Scripture. Your worth is in Christ Jesus and his acceptance of you. In the fact that you have been adopted into his family, that you are now a son or a daughter of the king. 
that you have been chosen, that you have been gifted beyond all gifts with the Holy Spirit. That is the kind of love that we see in Scripture, but that is not what our world wants to teach us. That is not what the last days that men are going to be giving themselves to know. What men are going to be giving themselves to is love of self. Second, what spawns right off of that is, is this next one, lovers of money. To be fond of money, to be greedy above all other things, to want to put money above everything. And do you recognize how, how this fits in with the love of self? Why? Because if you're all about yourself, then you're going to need lots of money in order to keep yourself happy. In order to be satisfied, you're going to need more and more money because you have to, you have to keep chasing that thing that is, that is giving you that satisfaction, that is giving you that meaning, that is making you happy. And what do we see in Scripture? We see the complete opposite. We see, and we've already seen in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6, verse 10, that the love of money is what? The root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many griefs. That, that doesn't sound like a good thing. That sounds like opening up Pandora's box and bringing more and more dissatisfaction and unhappiness to our lives by giving into this. If you're a lover of self, what else will you be all about? You'll be all about boasting. This is speaking of your talk about yourself. What do these people talk about all the time? They talk about themselves because they're all about themselves. That's what they do. They boast, even though James would say boasting in your arrogant schemes is, is all, is, that kind of boasting is evil. But it's not just what they say about themselves, it's what they think about themselves, which is what we see that they're also arrogant. And then it goes not to just what they say about themselves, not just to what they think about themselves, but how they relate to others. Because if it's all about them, if you get in the way, what happens? They're going to revile you. They're going to slander you. They're going to defame you. They're going to insult you. Why? Because you've gotten in the way of what they think is the most important thing, which is themselves. And all of this is this perversion of love that goes antithetical to what God says. Oh, this is love. Look at what my son has done for you. That is the kind of love that I want to be on display in my church, in my family. So first... We see lovers of self. Second, we see haters of what God says is good. Notice the, the end of chapter 2. Not only are they lovers of money, boastful, arrogant revilers, but they're disobedient to parents. They're ungrateful. They're unholy. They're unloving. They're irreconcilable. They're malicious gossips without self-control. They're brutal. They're haters of good. In a nutshell, anything that God says is good, they're the opposite. Even seen in, in Titus and, and what, they, what we see as a qualification for an elder, a lover of good. They're, no, they're the complete opposite. Whatever God would say is good, they're going to say, no, that, that's not good. The family? Nope, the family isn't good. So they're going to attack the family. Isn't that what we see? 
That's why we see the, the first thing here, disobedient to parents. That, that is what our culture is trying to be the facilitators to just make so common in our homes now, isn't it? That more and more legislation, more and more laws and all sorts of other things are being passed to where when, when, when our children go to school, doesn't matter what mom and, and dad think anymore. You don't need any kind of parental consent. Kids can do basically and say and act, change their clothes, change who they are as far as their sex goes, all of these things, totally outside of whatever the parents' wishes are. And it's just going to do what? It's going to get worse. Why? Because this is what God holds as something that is oh so good, the family. Do you know how long the family has been around? Before sin. Think about it. It's the longest institution, <laughs> marriage. And what is, what is Satan going after and what is our culture going after? What God says is true biblical marriage. He says, this is good. It is good for parents to raise their kids, not for the kids to do whatever they want. But instead, our, our culture is saying, no, go ahead, disobey your parents, it's fine. What do they want to do? They want to destroy the family. They want to destroy marriage. But we see it goes on. Ungrateful. What does God's word say? God's word says in Thessalonians that we're to give thanks in everything. And instead what we see is, I'll just be ungrateful. Be unthankful. Just complain about everything that you have, even though you have it so good. Isn't that part of our culture? Holiness. No, whatever God says, hey, set your part, yourself apart from that, our world says, no, go after it. The more unholy you can be, the better. The more unloving you could be. Instead of showing natural affection towards one another and loving one another, instead, what does our world, what does our culture say? Oh, no, it's all about you. And if that means you have to stomp, kick, pull, bite on someone else, that's fine. Because it's all about you. Irreconcilable, that, that's speaking of not being forgiving. Holding grudges and not letting that grudge ever go. You, you know people like that? That, that? That's just becoming more and more prominent, more and more prevalent. Why? Because it's, if it's all about you and somebody says something to you that you don't like, well then how do you handle it? You just cast them aside. They're malicious gossips. They're tearing each other down rather than building each other up. And then finally, they, they lack all sorts of self-control. They're brutal. That, that, that's the word for a, for a wild, vicious animal. Do you know what the difference is between a, a wild wolf out in the forest and our two huskies at my house? Man, my one husky, he looks like he's a wolf. He doesn't act like a wolf. Do you know why? Because he's tame. Because he's in control. A wild wolf? There, there is no controlling a wild wolf. You don't know how they are going to respond. That's the idea behind how these men are functioning, how these women are functioning, how children are functioning within our society in these last days. They are haters of what God says, what God determines is good. We know the fruit of the Spirit is what? One of them is self-control. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce. 
But what our society does is something entirely different. Third characteristic. Men will be lovers of pleasure and haters of God. That that is what we see in verse 4, is it not? All of these depictions after haters of good, being treacherous, reckless, conceited, all of that points to being a lover of pleasure. You get in my way, and then I will stop whatever it is that's trying to keep me. I'll be reckless, I'll be conceited, I'll be treacherous, all because I love pleasure more than anything else. What is the love of pleasure that this, this is what our society is all about. This means I will go after pleasure at all other costs. doesn't matter. It's, it's not even like there's a competition going between, between God on the one side and pleasure on the other. No, no there, there's only one player that is happening in this. There's a competition, not between God and pleasure. No, there's only one person involved in this competition, and that is pleasure. He's the only player. God isn't even a forethought. He's not even a thought at all. There's absolutely no place for thinking about God in this person's thoughts. All they care about is their pleasure, which we see in our culture in what? In all sorts of different areas, whether we're talking about the the realm of sex or we're talking about the realm of drugs or alcohol or you fill in the gap, movies. It can't even be food. That's what people live for. That's all that they live for is pleasing themselves. And God says, no, that isn't what I have planned for you. I have something better planned for you, for my people, for my creation. Then it gets even crazier as we get to the fourth characteristic. Notice what they have. They have a fake form of godliness. What's so scary about this is that they're religious. These are people that come to church. These are people that are trying to let everyone know, hey, I'm just like you. No, in fact, I'm better. I'm growing in godliness, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What are they? In Papua New Guinea, they'd be called um, skin Christian. It's just something on the outside. It's purely the external. Jesus would have called them what? Whitewashed tombs. They look sparkly clean on the outside. This is the Pharisees to a T. And yet on the inside, they're dead. That is exactly what the Lord is telling us here. That's how these people, and notice he's not even gotten to the false teachers yet. He's still speaking generally about man. And he's saying that there are some within Christ's church, this is who they are. This is who their identity is. And notice what they do not have. They do not have the power of God in them, the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They are unredeemed. This is scary. And then look at what he says about those such people. You would think he would say to pray for them. And that is a good thing. But he says avoid such. And that means to intentionally turn away from No doubt this could go to Matthew 18 in church discipline, verses 15 to 18. 
And all that, even before he gets into the present reality of what's happening in the church. And now when we turn to the present reality of what's happening in the church, we see how these false teachers are characterized. And notice first how they're characterized. They will take advantage of the weak. Fifth, they will take advantage of the weak. Look at who they're going after. They're going after weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. This isn't a characterization of every woman. This is saying of the subset of women, there are some women that because of their past, because of how the, the life that they lived, they, they're easy targets for guys like this, for these teachers. And notice the context here, and, and this isn't a church like this. They, they're meeting in home churches. And so what do these guys do? They recognize they have an opportunity. Timothy, he can't be at every one of these house churches. And so what are these guys doing? They're literally creeping in. When it says that they enter into the households, it means to enter into an area through devious means or with pretense. And what do they want to do? They want to captivate. That means to gain control. That means to deceive, to lead astray. That's what their intention is. That's what they are planning on doing. And they set their sights on these women. Perhaps he's pointing back to 1 Timothy and some of these young widows who have lost their husbands. And now they're in a difficult spot. And instead of the church wrapping arms around them and helping them, these imposters come in. And they lead them further and further away from the Lord. In fact, look what we see next. As the sixth characteristic of this kind of perversion of love is seen in the way that they teach and what their teaching does. What, in effect, is the result of their teaching is that it will not lead to the knowledge of the truth. Notice these ladies, they they are excited about learning. They're always learning, verse 7, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is a euphemism. That is what Paul has already used to describe salvation. To describe faith, repentance, and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But that is not what is happening. That's what makes this so sad. That instead of these ladies learning how to be saved, and this heavy weight that has been a burden for them all these years... That weight continues. Actually, that weight's getting more and more because what are these guys doing? They're taking them further and further away from Christ. When you go further and further away from Christ, it all becomes about you and what you have to do to attain godliness and to make God pleased with you. Instead of what Christ has already done and accomplished on your behalf, and now you do it as a result of worship, thankful for what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf as you have trusted in him and him alone. The question for us this morning is, who are you more like? Are you you more like these women? Are you more like Timothy, who has been charged to be faithful and has been found faithful before the Lord? Have you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him as your Savior? Seventh. Now he turns it on end and lets us know what God is going to do. It may seem, Timothy, like God's just standing by and he's going to be idle. He's just going to put his hands up and go, ah, that's okay. 
We'll just let this ride out indefinitely. But no, what we see instead is that, that they will be rejected by God. Look at verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also. Notice what they oppose. They oppose the truth, so they're not about this. Why? Because this holds them back. Because this keeps them from, from pushing their own agenda. Instead, if they were all about this, then they would allow God to push his agenda. So they're opposed to the truth. They're men of depraved mind. That speaks to the fact that they are not redeemed. Their minds are just like they were before. Their minds are not being renewed. And finally, they, they've been rejected in regarding to the faith. That is their own faith that they have not truly been saved. And as a result, they will be rejected. But notice that even in this, God's grace. Remember what we saw in chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 25 in Timothy. That in the midst of talking about these false teachers and, and how they need to be corrected, the hope that is poured out to them, the Lord's bondservant, verse 24, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient when wrong. Then look at this, when with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Will they turn to him? They still have the opportunity. if they would hear the gospel and respond. But what we see next, finally, is that there's a reckoning coming. That not only will they be rejected by God, but they will be exposed as liars. They will not make any further progress. Timothy, even though you may think that they're going to continue to get more and more of a, of a crowd that's following them. No, no, don't worry, Timothy. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. They will be exposed as liars, as the liars that they are. And when that happens, all will know. It's interesting that, that he mentions Janus and Jambres because we don't see them anywhere in the book of Exodus, as far as their names go. This is the only account we have of them, but it points us back to Moses and lets us know these guys existed in the time of Moses. And most Bible scholars, they believe that these two men were, were there with the Pharaoh when Moses and Aaron went before the Pharaoh. And do you remember what the Lord told Moses and Aaron to do? Hey, throw your staff down, Aaron. And then by God's miraculous power, what happens to that staff? It turns into a snake. And then do you remember what Pharaoh does? He tells all of his sorcerers, okay, boys, and they come, and what happens? They're able to turn their staff into snakes as well. And I'm sure at that point, what the thought is, is that two of those guys were Jonas and Jamris, and they just like, yeah, what else you got, Moses? Hey, we did the same exact thing. And then we know what happens with Aaron's snake that was once his, his staff. What happens? It eats all the other ones. And even though these guys are able to do different miracles such as the frogs, such as turning the Nile in, into blood and, and all of that, ultimately they fall short and they are exposed. 
And some believe that these two men actually went with the nation of Israel out of Egypt, heading to the promised land, and went as far as when Moses went up on the mount and is receiving the Ten Commandments. And many believe that they were part of the instigators that were pushing the nation of Israel to abandon Yahweh and pursue other gods, the gods of Egypt. And that's why they went after the worship of the golden calf and they believe that what he's talking about here is that that actually the way that they were shown to to be obvious in their folly was that they were destroyed right there and then with the 300 other men we, we don't know what is the point the point of all of this is that god wins that none of this takes the lord by surprise and that what we are to do is to follow him, rejoice in him, and put all of our hope in him, and that even as we things, see things spiral more and more out of control, that instead of becoming dejected and discouraged, that we use that as an opportunity to seek the Lord more wholeheartedly and to share him with others, because we recognize that more and more moral decay is going to happen. We, we recognize, too, that the church is compromising and allowing more and more false teachers to come in and, and fill pulpits like this one and preach something that is not God-honoring, that is not biblically-centric or even close to the truth. It's just plain heresy that people will be led astray, but Christ will continue to build His church. And nothing is going to change that. Amen? Amen. Let me close this out as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up and as we get ready to just celebrate with Ashley and, and her coming forward in obedience and in baptism. Um, so much to be thankful for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that we know that these are the, the last days and that there is coming a day when all things will be made right. that all sin will be dealt with and that it is only by your grace that we will not stand under your wrath and we are so thankful for that and we're so thankful that all that we see transpiring right now and even the thought that it will continue to get worse and worse and worse doesn't not only does it not take you by surprise but that it is your plan and ultimately it is to bring you more glory as even in the tribulation period where your wrath is poured out, Lord, there is going to be a mass number of people turning to you, finding salvation in you alone, being martyred. And Lord, we see again and again that you are victorious. So we rejoice in you and we ask that you would help us to live holy lives that we wouldn't look like those of the world, that we would be different in the way that we live so that we might give you glory and praise and honor and that in the end that we might be kneeling before you and hear you say the oh so precious words well done my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord amen